welcome to Toho Yaro, a monthly Japanese movie po- club podcast. I'm Joey Weiser, your host this month, and with me is Alex. Hi, Alex. Hey, Joey. And Scott. Hey, Scott. Hey, Joey. Hey. This month, we're talking about Shin Godzilla from 2016. Making this now our most recent movie that we have reviewed. <laughs> Always pushing that mark closer and closer. Yeah. Um, this was a request from a listener, William, who um, has been mentioned in previous podcasts. He's helped out with some translation stuff in our Truck Yarrow episode, and I foresee him probably helping us out in the future. He's also uh, the listener that on Twitter had mentioned that he listens to every episode multiple times, which uh, I don't... Uh, we don't ask that of all of our listeners, but we encourage it. <laughs> I was going to say, oh, wow, I don't even do that. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, sometimes I have to listen to a part a couple times to make sure I didn't say something stupid, but that's, that's about <laughs> it. Um, so I'm looking forward to talking about this with you guys. Um, um, uh, let's go over some of the cast and crew, first of all. Um, mm-hmm. This film is directed by uh, Hideaki Anno. Uh, who's most well-known for his work in animation. He's a founding member of Studio Gainax, the, I'd say at this point, legendary anime studio formed by anime fans, um, and uh, creator of Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, he's worked with Hayao Miyazaki as an animator on Naushka in the Valley of the Wind and done all sorts of stuff, but I'd say that Evangelion credit is what he's most uh, well-known for. Um and uh, this is also co-directed uh, by Shinji Higuchi, who is also credited as the visual effects director. Um, he's also a founding member of Gainax, which I think is interesting and worth noting. Um, and uh, is the man behind the special effects in the excellent uh, 90s Gamera trilogy. Um, so this is not his first time around with Kaiju, uh, for sure. As far as the cast is concerned, this is a movie with a huge cast. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm going to just mention a few uh, the sort of key players and then a few also that are uh, people that we might recognize from past episodes. Um, uh, first and foremost, uh, Hiroke, uh, Hiroki Hasegawa plays Rondo Yaguchi, the deputy chief cabinet secretary, and he is basically our protagonist. Um I've seen him in a few things. Uh, he was on, in a TV drama called Yai no Sakura and uh, as well in the live action Princess Jellyfish movie. Um, he's apparently also in the live action Attack on Titan film, which I'm guessing some of our listeners have probably seen. Yeah, um, Higuchi directed the live action Attack on Titan, so I think he brought oh. over a number of the same uh, cast members since uh, Satomi Ishihara. Yeah, speaking of Satomi Ishihara, she's, yeah, she's plays uh, Kayoko Ann Patterson, the special envoy for the President of the United States. Uh, As Scott mentioned, she's also in the Attack on Titan movie. Um, She's also in that uh, Zatoichi The Last film, the the most recent Zatoichi movie that has that dude from SMAP as Ichi uh, (laughs) that we mentioned briefly in uh, our Zatoichi episode. I could have sworn that... uh... That the 2003 one was the last one. So, when one of uh, 
one of my friends was talking about like, oh yeah, that Zatoichi movie from a few years ago. I was like, a few. And I completely, <laughs> completely forgot about Zatoichi the last. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird one. Um, the This film also features uh, Mikako Ichikawa as the environment uh, Ministry Deputy Chief Wildlife Divisions Hiromi uh, Ogashira and she's uh, in some stuff I didn't really recognize she's I guess in the live action Cutie Honey uh, at, also directed by Ano, and um, is in a TV drama this year called uh, Kenji Miyazawa's Table which looks interesting it's adapted from a manga um, as far as some Toho Yaro alumni uh, we've got Ren Osugi who plays the Prime Minister um, he's been in several Toho Yaro episodes, uh, Sonatine, Shall We Dance, uh, Dead or Alive. Um, <laughs> and bonus points, he's the guy who I always mix up with, Kenjiro Ishimaru, who played the cult guy in Fish Story. I don't know, for some reason I, I get those two kind of mixed up <laughs> in my head. But um, uh, And also, speaking of which, uh, we had a listener complain about the way that we pronounce uh, Sonatine, which... Uh, we, we, we went over in, in that episode that it's, it's sort of a nonsense word that's in between, um, I think an Italian word and a Japanese and a sort of Japanization of that word. So it, I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of a hard one to come down on. Um, but anyway, uh, Akira Emoto plays the cabinet chief secretary um, he's also in Shall We Dance in that, uh, 2003 Zatoichi and in Wood Job, which we recently covered. Um, uh, he's also in some Torasan films and Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. So this is not his first time around with Godzilla even. Um, Alex, uh, pointed out that he caught Kengo Kora, uh, who plays the secretary of, De- uh, of deputy chief cabinet secretary. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> There's so many. Awful. Some yeah, um, and he was he was Goro in F- Fish Story, so a pretty uh, key player in that one. Yeah, hard to miss, actually. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I didn't recognize him for some reason. I guess I was just not <laughs> looking for him. His but, hair was um, different, but he's got a pretty unique face. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, I felt uh, pretty silly not not noticing him. Um, and there's a couple other people that were in Sonatine. Uh, Kenichi uh, Yajima, who was the Minister of Land, Infrastructure, Transport, and Tourism. Um, and Tetsu Watanabe, who was the Deputy Chief Cabinet Secretary for Crisis Management. Um, not a, a Toho Yaro alum, but I also wanted to mention Kimiko Yo, who plays the Minister of Defense. Uh, she's just awesome in this movie, and so I oh, yeah. thought it was worth pointing her out. Um, she's in some live-action ad- adaptations, like uh, the Ace Attorney movie and the Parasite movies. Uh, she was in a 2000 remake of New Battles Without Honor and Humanity, as well as the film Departures, which is on our movie request list. So we might be seeing more of her in the future. Um, and lastly, and I won't mention anybody else, there was a dude that I saw in a recent Common Writer episode. I couldn't dig up what his name was, but I totally <laughs> recognized a big sort of bald dude. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the last person I wanted to mention was the music is by Shiro Sagisu who uh, also created the music for Neon Genesis Evangelion, and you can totally hear it. Um, We might talk a little bit more about the music uh, later in depth, but uh, the music basically pivots between Akira Ifukube's classic Godzilla score and this sort of Ava-esque kimpity drums. Um, Yeah, it was was fascinating. I was watching this with Amy, my wife, and she noted that that she was like, did they just reuse the same music? It felt that way sometimes. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, uh, yeah, we'll actually delve a little deeper into that once we uh, once we start talking about music because mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple things I, I did want to note about the soundtrack. Cool, cool. Um, yeah, so let's let's basically get into the synopsis now. I just wanted to mention I'm the only one who had previously seen this film, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, yep, yep and that's correct. I was fortunate to see it. It had a very limited theatrical run. And it was great to see it on the big screen for sure. Um, and it was presented slightly differently than it is on home video, which uh, we'll get into later as well. Um, so this movie <laughs> revels in its details. So I'm going to try to move through this uh, relatively briefly, uh, but we can discuss any finer points that you'd like to. Um, it opens uh, after running through both the modern and classic uh, Toho logos, which I thought was cool. Um, with the classic Ifukube Godzilla theme. And uh, as the movie starts, uh, we start with a, an abandoned yacht found in Tokyo Bay. Um, and as it's being inspected, it's suddenly destroyed, and the tunnel below is flooded with this red liquid, which is like, I don't know, blood or radioactive goo or something. But whatever it is, it's a cool visual. Um, the, there's a government meeting called, and the deputy chief cabinet secretary, uh, Rando Yaguchi, which I must uh, mention how funny it is that this guy's name is Rando. Um, <laughs> it's a very good name. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, intentional, but from my point of view, where there's just a million characters and it's sort of like uh, about uh, being kind of lost amongst this uh, bureaucracy, having a main character named Rando is, is excellent. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose it's pronounced Rondo. Rondo, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 in this case, yeah, Rando is definitely... Uh, <laughs> it's funny. So he meets uh, with the Prime Minister and some other high-ranking officials. Uh, Yaguchi suggests that the cause of the accident could be a living creature, but is shot down pretty immediately, but when they call a larger meeting with the cabinet, Yaguchi is basically immediately proven correct when a new video surfaces of a tail coming out of the water. And so that meeting is uh, quickly adjourned, and the prime minister goes back with his sort of like smaller group into his office for another uh, close-knit meeting, uh, one of many meetings in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, they've. I think they even make a point of a point of it. Like, God, you, even for the slightest little thing, we have to call a meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, uh, I like, so I like this, how they go between the like different levels of formality in the meetings between like the super official. We're taking minutes back to the like informal. What the heck is going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, oh, I'll quickly make an, make another small meeting. Um, so in this smaller meeting, they discuss their options, which are basically to do nothing, uh, try to push it away, capture it, or kill it. Um, they call in some biologist experts who all disagree uh, or refuse to say anything without any more evidence. Um, Scott had re- uh, had looked into this, and these biologists are all uh, other directors, which I think is an interesting casting choice. Interesting. Um, I, yeah, I, I think, don't, yeah, I don't know their, their relation to the uh, to either of our co-directors, but I, I was like, these guys seem like they're somebody. And uh, sure enough, it, it is kind of an anomaly, but I wasn't able to find out who they or what their connection was. Yeah, you know, I see I, I looked them up and I didn't really see anything that particularly stood out to me. Um, one was a documentarian, which I thought was interesting, but um and one actually was a scientist, I think. Um, but I, they were either friends of Ano's or maybe tributes or something. I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting thing. I'd, I'd love to learn more about that. Um, but anyway, so these guys kind of refuse to 
to participate. And uh, as this is happening, Godzilla starts coming into the city, pushing boats along and causing some destruction. Uh, and so the Environment Ministry Deputy Chief Wildlife Division's uh, Hiromi Ogashira is called in. And she's an interesting character. She's sort of eccentric, maybe sort of on on a spectrum of some sort, <laughs> maybe sort of Ray Ayanami ish. Um, yeah, I got that vibe from her. Like mm-hmm. she's definitely a character. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I thought like... she. I loved her though, mostly because she really stood out, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and uh, she spoke very uh, very matter of factly and intelligently. And uh, despite the fact that uh, uh, she was touted as being, oh yeah, you know, she's. She doesn't have very many credentials, but, you know, she's pretty good. And turns out she's, like, an amazing expert. Yeah, yeah. She was cool. I liked her a lot. Um, uh, but definitely felt kind of like one of Anno's types that he likes to include in his stuff. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, but so she's willing to participate, and she uh, disputes their reports uh, that, that, this, that if this is a giant creature, that its feet can't support it coming on land. Uh, but regardless, the prime minister holds a press conference where he goes off script and reassures uh, the press that it will not come on land. And just <laughs> as with Yaguchi in the meeting, he is uh, immediately disproven. Godzilla comes on land, and this is our first like real look at him. And boy, he looks um, real wonky at this point. <laughs> I, I really like the editing of the scene right before that because he assures everybody that it can't come on land. And then... He, uh, an aide whispers in his ear, and it just go. He just goes, "It what?" And yeah. then it cuts to the <laughs> to uh, our first real view of of Godzilla. So yeah. I want to point out that going into this movie, I did not read up on it. I didn't really hear anything about it. The only thing I I saw was the picture of what Godzilla looks like in this movie, and it's like you know the full grown version where he's got mm-hmm. like the toothpick teeth and the weird buggy eyes, and the radiation uh, burns and stuff. So when I saw this creature, I was like, oh, sweet. This looks so stupid. Like, it's a, it, it looks like a giant rubbery thing, and this is the thing that Godzilla is going to fight. I'm super excited. <laughs> like, it looked like it, <laughs> it looked like a plastic dinosaur toy. Um, yeah, and, it has little fin hands, which kind of look like chicken wings or something. Yeah, and, and it's sort of like, and it's cute. It kind of scuttles along the city, destroying everything in its path. Yeah. Uh, and it's, ah, uh, it's. It's so interesting. Like the way the I kept looking at it and was like, would this be believable in real life? And then I decided, yes, yes, it would, because its eyes look like that of a moray eel, like kind of these soulless mm. eyes. Yeah, I was getting kind of a chihuahua vibe from it, like its mouth hanging open. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's like <laughs> kind of doofy and wall-eyed. But yeah, those they uh, I I agree with you strongly, Alex. That those remind me of eel eyes. Yeah, the kind of like pinned. It's kind of dead expression to it. And this yeah. thing, like, it does look like a one of those, like, rubbery dinosaur toys with how just absolutely silly it looks, which I th- I'm it is intentional, like. Yes. And and I guess an homage to the kind of, like, goofier, older monster designs from kaiju movies. Yeah, but, but while it's, it's still silly, super terrifying. It's still horrifying. It has that thing where the, that blood or whatever, like, comes out of its gills. So Constantly, yeah. It's like still pretty like gross and yeah, it's, uh, scary. Yeah, well, it's leaving the, a trail. The blood of... pouring out as I guess it's trying to get used to breathing on land where it doesn't yeah. need its gills anymore is is super. It that's something else that's also both like silly and disturbing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
It's actually kind of interesting that, what, that you, you brought that up, and we're probably going to touch into this a little more as you know we see the creature uh, grow. But uh, it's sort of interesting uh, the realistic way in which the creature is portrayed, and which uh, the bureaucracy behind all of mm. this is is uh, you know kind of portrayed as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I really I've, bought I've got it. Some stuff to say about that. For sure. Uh, so Godzilla uh, wreaks some havoc uh, as the government continues to hold meetings and kind of is generally flailing uh, ineffectively. Uh, the prime minister finally decides to authorize military movement. Um, and this is the first time that this has happened since World War II, um, making this a pretty big decision for them um, in some ways. <laughs> um and at this point, Godzilla's skin starts, like, wiggling around, which is a very strange effect. And he starts suddenly evolving, uh, looking a little less doofy, and finally being able to stand up on his feet. Um, this is, uh, And helicopters surround it, but just as they're about to fire, there are some citizens spotted in the area. This old couple that's lagging behind from the evacuation. And this, like, as I mentioned, this utilization of military is, like... And it's especially sensitive subject for the Japanese government, and they refuse to fire uh, with citizens in the area. So the attack is called off. Uh, Godzilla roars. He runs through some buildings <laughs> and disappears back into the water. And um, at this point, a special team of, quote, uh, lone wolves, nerds, troublemakers, outcasts, academic heretics, and general pains in the bureaucracy uh, are assembled and try to figure out what this creature is and what to do about it. They speculate that uh, more mutations are on the way, discuss uh, how much energy would be needed to power uh, such a huge creature. And as things kind of go in this film, Ogashira suggests nuclear fission and is laughed at. Uh, but uh, then she is quickly proven right. Uh, <laughs> there's a pretty... Uh, that So they see uh, that where Godzilla was going through uh, now have kind of traces of radioactivity and there's this funny scene of the guy realizing that and kind of like waving his arms in the air and running around the room <laughs> with the laptop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like both the guy that like, he's the guy I'm pretty sure that, that like laughed at her, but then he's like, Oh my God, she's right. Oh <laughs> yeah. Very comical. Like I like how this movie's not all buttoned up. There's still like, there's, there's some comical moments like that. It does a good job of with this much like meetings and science and stuff, making that stuff entertaining to watch uh, and moving at a fast clip and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, America gets involved and they send the special presidential envoy, Kayoko Ann Patterson, uh, as, uh, who is a Japanese American with a, a real whack accent, uh, when she speaks English. <laughs> That's true. Um, it's a, it's an interesting, I feel like it's an accent where certain, what I think of as English tendencies were kind of hammered out of the way that she speaks, but it like still is not natural sounding. Yeah. I wonder how that's, that accent sounds to the Japanese ear because like obviously being native English speakers we're like nope 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 that's not right but yeah we we are but I feel like it's kind of better than a lot of what I've heard in the past so I don't know I I feel (laughs) like it's different yeah yeah yeah. I don't know if better yeah yeah (laughs) yeah maybe that's a that's a better way to say it but oh well so Patterson uh hands over this info that the U.S. had about the owner of that abandoned yacht a zoology professor named Goro Maki, uh, who had predicted Godzilla's appearance. Uh, they have a pamphlet with notes of his that were found on the yacht, and written on the envelope is the message, do as you please. Um, 
The U.S. had named the creature Godzilla after the name Maki gave it, uh, Gojira, a word meaning God incarnate from Odo Island, where Maki is from, which I think is a pretty cool callback to the original. Um, and they uh, they also found unauthorized radioactive material dumping in the sea that Godzilla was probably feeding off of. Uh, Maki was anti-nuclear because uh, his wife had been afflicted by the atomic bombing in World War II and died. Um, Maki's enigmatic, enigmatic notes uh, are shared with Yaguchi's team of weirdos, and they try to make sense out of it. And they develop this plan to immobilize Godzilla by f- freezing his internal cooling system, and they call it the Yaguchi plan. And, uh, I wanted uh, to note something about the uh, so the revelation, but uh, Goro Maki and the and the empty yacht. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it was intentional, but I saw it as a little bit of a callback to the end of the original Godzilla, um, where oh, they're on the boat. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And um, that's... Yeah, I want to definitely, when we're through with this, talk about kind of like what happened to Goro. But yeah, the kind of idea that I got is that he threw himself into the sea. And so that is very similar um, to the end. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Um. So uh, they work tirelessly to uh, put this plan in motion, and Godzilla arrives again, now having evolved into something much closer to the Godzilla we know and love. Uh, He has arms, finally, (laughs) even though they are a little scrawny, as as Alex had mentioned, and he has this, like, super long tail. Um, But he has these kind of, like, lacerations or maybe uh, radiation burns, as you mentioned, uh, all over his body that look kind of bloody and gross. And, yeah, he uh, looks like he's uh, he's covered in uh, keloid scars, which are what you get from radiation burns, and mm-hmm. then it's just like bright red in the cracks between like muscle and and stuff, just kind of gleaming out from inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really horrific. It looks like it hurts to move. Like it looks like Godzilla is kind of always in pain because of it, to me at least. Yeah. Um. So the citizens are evacuated, and Godzilla starts tromping around the city, uh, destroying everything. The self-defense force is authorized to attack, and we get this long and thorough sequence of jets, tanks, etc., attacking fruitlessly. Uh, There's a cool shot in this uh, that I like of Godzilla poking his head out from the smoke and looking, like, really gnarly after they'd, like, hit him with a bunch of stuff, and, of course, it doesn't hurt him at all. Um, And that night, Godzilla continues to attack, and this part, like... It looks super great. Like uh, those open wounds uh, areas that we were talking about glow with the heat from within him. And the U.S. sends jets at this point to with even more powerful bombs to attack Godzilla. And the bombs actually do hurt him. Uh, blood comes rushing out from his back. Again, pretty horrific. And uh, Godzilla <laughs> starts glowing. Uh, his like spines and stuff are glowing from red to pink to purple. And he opens his mouth. The bottom of his jaw splits into two and his eyes kind of like gloss over. Um, And he starts like barfing out flames uh, until the heat (laughs) intensifies into this purple beam that he kind of like whips up and uh, down and totally like takes out all the U.S. jets. Uh, It's pretty, (laughs) pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah, this part was cool as hell. I, I, I was blown away by how cool that was and how surprising it was when his jaw like got all funky. Yeah. Um, I guess this is uh, Anno's interpretation of uh, Godzilla's radiation breath. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I kind of like this idea that it kind of just starts out as flames, but then he can kind of like intensify it and intensify it kind of like almost like putting your thumb over the hose, you know, to kind yeah. of like. Um, yeah. But then <laughs> in an unexpected moment, uh, as more bombs are dropped, uh, Godzilla goes into what I am going to call party mode and he starts <laughs> shooting beams out of his back. <laughs> Yeah, it like looks like the laser lights at a rave or something. It's the but death blossom like... from Last Starfighter. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly what that is. I just uh, watched Last Starfighter earlier this year, so I understand that <laughs> reference. Amazing, so good. Yeah, this part is crazy. Uh, he takes out the rest of the jets as well as a helicopter with the prime minister and uh, several of the higher officials and basically just sets the city ablaze. Uh, it's an insane scene of destruction that mirrors the city destruction scene in the original Godzilla. I, I assume that I, did you guys kind of think that yeah, as well? I Especially did. Especially the scenes where it's like showing each of the individual wards. It felt a lot like that. Mm. Yeah, um, there's a scene that reminded me of my favorite uh, my favorite scene in Godzilla, like the original, where you kind of just see the silhouette of the city burning. The like that scene reminded me of that. Yeah, uh, for sure. It was like this very like whoa, like high stakes moment. Um during that scene, I uh I I wanted to refer to Godzilla's uh radiation beam as um as an anime beam because it's like this <laughs> it's just like this giant pillar of light, this giant pillar of horizontal light and then after like uh a second like explosions follow the beam. Do you know oh, what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah, it is it's very much like anime inspired kind of the uh, laser weapon type thing. And, yes. Um, it, Godzilla's atomic breath is something that I think is really cool. And in the uh, the recent American movie, like when that shows up, I was super excited. But when the, the this whole scene happened in Shin Godzilla, I was just like blown away at all the buildup and the execution of it. And then mm-hmm. it just just the the destruction that that it caused and the, the way it, it used that anime style, just like laser cutting through stuff and then exploding was unique for a live action movie and super, super cool. Yeah. Totally great. So then Godzilla cools down and basically just goes to sleep, uh, freezing, uh, still in his place. Um, so at this point, Yaguchi and whoever is left from the government just kind of tries to regroup the next day. Uh, due to the succession of power, the agriculture minister is now the acting prime minister. And his intro scene does not give much confidence. <laughs> no. He, after he's briefed on the situation, he sighs that his noodles have gotten soggy. You know, this is a very tough job <laughs> indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and Yaguchi is now the, uh, get ready for it, the cabinet minister for of state for special missions giant Unidentified Creature Unified Response Task Force HQ Bureau Chief and Deputy Director. Wow, not so much of a rando anymore, yeah. is it? <laughs> it was. I, I needed to like pause to actually read all that because it shows all these titles when the characters are introduced. It shows their titles and everything on screen, and when that first pops up, it covers like the upper third of the screen because yeah. there's just so much of it. Yeah, yeah, that is definitely a mouthful. Uh, he's but basically what it, he's in charge of what's going on at the moment. <laughs> And there's even discussion of him eventually becoming prime minister. Um, she kind of dismisses, but kind of accepts, like saying, like eh, maybe in five years or something like that. But uh, um, so Yaguchi's team continues to do their research, uh, and the U.S. researchers are brought in at this point. But ultimately, the U.S. decides 
uh, to just drop nukes on Godzilla, even though it's in the middle of Tokyo. This puts pressure on Yaguchi's team to act fast and immobilize Godzilla before the U.S.'s uh, nukes reach Japan. Um, team Which Yaguchi... Should... Oh, yeah. do you have something to say? No, I was going to say, yeah, I, I was watching this. I was like, well, yeah, that's uh, regrettably what <laughs> we would probably do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, team Yaguchi has uh, a breakthrough that, honestly, I still don't completely understand, having seen this a few times now, but by folding Maki's notes like origami... They figure out that Godzilla's some like information about Godzilla's genetic makeup, and uh, with this information and the help of some supercomputers in Germany, they're able to put the Gucci plan into motion. Um, they take Maki's last words of uh, "Do as you like" to heart and act on their own without the U.S.'s approval. And so here goes. Here's the Yaguchi plan. Uh, step one: They ram some exploding bullet trains into Godzilla, waking him up. Uh, step two, they drop bombs on him uh, with drones that I think were U.S. drones, which was like yes. a thing yeah. that uh, that uh, what's her name Patterson uh, like helped out with. Yeah. Um, so the U.S. is kind of still helping out, even though they're also threatening to nuke it if this doesn't go through. Um, so well, I think uh, during uh, I think there's a there's a bit where Kayoko is talking with her father, I believe, or some somebody on on the airplane, and she was. And she has a. She's like, well, I'm going to help them. It's like, well, this might affect you know you becoming president or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah her she her has... goal of becoming president by age forty. <laughs> <laughs> yes, lofty goals. Um, <laughs> also, oh, let's not get into that. Uh, so, um, they, so they drop bombs on him with drones, and uh, he lashes out at them in, back again in party mode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> effectively using up what heat he'd been uh, building back up in his sleep. But then <laughs> my mind totally got blown when his tail lights up and he starts shooting a second atomic beam from uh, both his mouth and the tip of his tail, uh, which was totally crazy. And I've seen uh, people saying that they see a face on the end of his tail, uh, which I don't know. I didn't really see, but um, yeah, I didn't catch that there's either. reason to believe that uh, for sure. So I didn't see a face, but I did note that uh, when during the, I don't know, the fortnight in which Godzilla is like asleep, uh, they the camera does a weird zoom in on his tail and something clicks on it. Mm. And that I they don't really revisit that. Uh, but I think it does like foreshadow, oh, something's up with the tail. So yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so so, yeah. So here he's just kind of basically with these drones, they're they're tiring him out a little bit. Um, and then step three is to blow up some buildings surrounding Godzilla, knocking him to his knees and covering him with rubble. And and then step four, uh, trucks come and fill Godzilla with as much coolant as they can until he wakes up and vaporizes them with his breath. And these are manned, so that's uh, unfortunately some death, uh, <laughs> some casualties in this plan. And uh, step five, <laughs> ram Godzilla with even more exploding trains. <laughs> so many exploding trains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're all uh, jumping up around him and knocking him down again. Um, oh, God, just, that part was cool. You know, like, if, if the military yeah, like otaku stuff upwards. wasn't enough, we're, we've also got train otaku stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> but uh, so then step six. Uh, I, also, I do want to mention about the train so that kind of like I feel like calls back a little bit to the original Godzilla with him like holding the train mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, so more trucks come and inject uh, Godzilla with even more coolant. And uh, and then 
finally, in step seven, uh, Godzilla gets back up again, wrecking the trucks. But at this point, the coolant settles in and he freezes, leaving a statuesque kaiju monument in the middle of the city. I think it's very interesting that he froze pretty much instantaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just uh, hit a critical mass where he's he's normal, and then just snap of the fingers, he's he freezes solid. Freezes, gray skin, totally frozen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Like I bought all of this movie, even like uh, you know, yeah, the uh, you know, uh, nerd think tanks origami bit. Yeah. Um, but the the one thing that I was sort of like okay, a little bit on was. Their plan, like, to cover him with rubble, so then things like, okay, well, then he'll be on the ground, and we'll conveniently come over and, like, put this stuff in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, just hose it. Like, that's that's yeah. the biggest gamble of their plan to me. It's like, well, what if you cover his, like, what if he's, his head is covered? Then you're going to have to, like, get in there. Yeah, no, and... this is totally one of those, like, what are those machines called that where it's, like, a bird eats the bird seed and that releases a thing that makes the arrow Real shoot out bird the... device. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rube Goldberg. Yeah, this is totally a Rube Goldberg machine. On a it's like it, like a pee- like in the beginning of Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is the Pee Wee plan. <laughs> like this is how Pee Wee gets his breakfast. He 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 rams a whole bunch of exploding bullet trains into a kaiju, and after sixteen or seventeen steps, he finally gets his fried egg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So uh, the U.S. attack is called off and the day is saved. Uh, We discover that the radiation in the area is reducing and will be safe to inhabit in a few years. So Japan will rebuild. Uh, Yaguchi and Patterson have a little secret meeting on a rooftop with Godzilla visible in the distance uh, where they discuss their future. She as potentially uh, a U.S. president and him potentially as prime minister. Uh, Yaguchi knows that there's still a lot of work to be done. He states that things are far from settled and we get one last shot of Godzilla and as we pan up uh, his tail we see several half-formed uh, humanoid Godzilla creatures that were seemingly killed before they could sprout off of his tail yeah uh, a couple things uh, in this um, that were mentioned that I thought was interesting was that uh, I think they either hypothesized or like they came to the conclusion that uh, this is a creature that is going to propagate and is going mm. to spread wing. He's going to grow wings and eventually, you know, go all over the world and and uh, and pump out little Godzilla babies. Yeah. So we got to act quick. Yeah, that uh, revelation is why all of the American scientists leave and the UN decides to use the nuke is because they realize that the other countries are now at risk. Yeah, this idea that. Godzilla could sprout wings or, or yeah, make babies and stuff, which the babies thing is interesting. Like I, I honestly think it's cool uh, in the concept of the movie, but the idea of actually seeing that filmed uh, makes me a little uh, feel a little wary because it just reminds me of the 1998 American Godzilla movie where he has little like raptor babies. That is exactly what I thought about right when I saw that ending. I was like, well, good that this was just kind of this kind of like weird stinger and not something that actually <laughs> yeah. happened. In totally. The that's that's the way I feel about it. I was reminded of uh, Cloverfield, actually, mm. because I think, yeah, the similar thing happened. It had little parasite babies. Uh, yeah. One thing I noted, I put this in my notes, uh, uh, Hiromi um her character doesn't smile at all in the entire movie, except at the very end when she realizes that the half-life of Godzilla's radiation is like extremely low. Oh yeah, um, which nice. which 
Yeah, which means that like now we're completely one hundred percent out of the woods, and she can, and then she finally smiles like like a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. And and I thought that was a cool like character moment for her. Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, the the end is supposed to, I guess, be like triumphant and hopeful, but you still have this like gigantic monster just in the middle of the city that you can't really do anything with, and the yeah. threat of uh Tokyo being nuked if it ever wakes back up. Yeah. It's definitely <laughs> like a foreboding ending. Like there's a lot of a lot of danger uh implied. You know. Obviously th- this movie has parallels uh with the twenty eleven Tohoku earthquake and tsunami as well as the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear disaster. So I think that like uh there's there is this idea that like um, you know, that that it's never completely over, you know, another dangerous thing could strike at any yeah. time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, speaking of which, um, you know, it comparing those things, Godzilla is both an unstoppable natural force, uh, and a nuclear reactor kind of at the same time. Um, and from this comes the common reading that this film is a satire, uh, criticizing the Japanese government on their ineffectiveness and inability to act fast in disasters like this. Um, did you guys kind of feel that when when you were watching this? So uh, that's how my friend described this movie to me. Actually, mm-hmm. he's like, "Oh yeah, Shin Godzilla is hilarious. It's you know, oh. it's, and and he yeah he's Japanese so, and it, so he was like yeah it's basically just a uh, it's a takedown of of how shitty Japanese bureaucracy is yeah um, but I didn't see it as that honestly I saw it as more of a realistic approach to how um, a situation like this would be handled in, in the world yeah I have something to say about that actually that's that's interesting that you took that away away from it because I definitely saw uh, the you know satire aspect of it but not seeing it necessarily as a hilarious movie but like, well i mean yeah i i did see that but i also yeah. i'm like well this is I, it they're not wrong but like, uh so um a friend of mine david bednar uh who's a dude on twitter and stuff and he uh, has has this kind of interesting string of tweets that kind of offers a counterpoint to that that's kind of more in support of your idea alex that um you know he he acknowledges that the similarities between uh, the movie and the disasters, even uh, posting a video of footage of the tsunami where uh, there are like boats and stuff being pushed on land, which looks like basically identical to the scene of Godzilla coming on land, which is really mm-hmm. interesting and horrific. Um, but then he also pulls this quote from uh, one of the Gainax founders uh, remarking, uh, I think this interview is from when they were making that 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 Gamera trilogy and re- remarking on how after he had compared real earthquake damage to those shown in Tokusatsu productions, uh, he felt that they were still getting things wrong. And, uh, you know, uh, David's kind of of the opinion that Ano is, a you know, a similar otaku kind of to his fellow Gainax founders and took this as an opportunity to, like, finally, like, get it right. And he's just very, like, systematically and thoroughly showing all the steps that the government would go through in this crisis and accurately depict that as well as the destruction. 
And, you know, I, I definitely think that there's some truth to that. I'll, I'll retweet that uh, chain on our Toho Yara account so people can see that uh, after this episode drops. But like, oh, yeah, please do. Uh, there's some really interesting points. Um, I think it's kind of somewhere in between where where you get this satirical reading that comes through these details, you know, like maybe like it's kind of hard to say what exactly Anno's intent was, but like uh, that I definitely think there is something to be said for like how thoroughly he covers everything, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It is interesting. The uh, I knew going in that, uh, or I, I had read going in that this movie was supposed to be kind of a rebuke of Japanese bureaucracy. And it's, it was really fascinating watching the early scenes where it's the, the snap editing between all these scenes and getting introduced to all these people to the point where it felt like a, uh, much cleaner, more organized Terry Gilliam mm. uh, sequence where it's just all this like ridiculous bureaucracy and things being passed around between all these different people. But I think in the end, there's a lot of kind of mixed messaging on it, the, the film doesn't come down specifically on one side of it because there are so many scenes like the one earlier where the helicopters are t- after all of this back and forth repeatedly uh, to authorize the helicopters to attack Godzilla, the uh, the elderly couple shows up and they're ultimately called off. And yeah, the they went back and forth repeatedly before the helicopters could do anything and then eventually got called off anyway. But uh, we know later in the movie that if the helicopters had, when ha- had been authorized to attack immediately, that it wouldn't have stopped Godzilla and that wouldn't have been a good outcome. Yeah. So it's interesting. There's there's kind of, and and uh, the kind of uh, milk toast attitude of the prime minister and the the uh, weird uh, the the agricultural minister that gets promoted to prime minister being kind of grumpy about the job and not wanting to be that responsible for anything. Mm-hmm. Obviously, lampoons government, but I think in the end, it's still. And the 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 quote lone, team of lone wolves are still operating within the system. Yeah, the government and, and still things. comes through uh, in the end. You know, it might and be then, kind of this like younger voices within the government, maybe. But yeah, and and the new like temporary government, all like we've done this, it's been successful. Now we're going to step down and let let people actually sl- or let the the everyone select a government. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's I. I it's not as harsh a critique as I thought it was going to be going in, but, and I think it has some things to say, but I don't think it's like a, a, a scathing rebuke as a, as I had first been led to believe. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's accurate. Um, another directorial detail that I would like to mention is something that I had sort of alluded to earlier that is not actually on this, uh, North American home release is that Anno has a very distinct Japanese font uh, that you would recognize from Evangelion as well as some of his other works. And in the original version and the version that ran in theaters uh, in America as well as in Japan, uh, this font appears all over the film. Like whenever anyone is introduced, like as you had mentioned, Scott, about like whenever anyone is introduced, it displays their name uh, as well as the same kind of treatment for like uh, locations and special equipment and stuff. And in the original this is done with these sort of big white uh, Japanese letters. 
Um, and then in Funimation's home release, this text is scrubbed and we instead get just the English uh, super titles at the top of the screen um, with all this information along with the subtitles for what is being said at the bottom. And uh, as far as I know, we don't know if this was a decision on Funimation's part or Toho's or what. Um, this was recently screened after this home release uh, in the UK, and their screening had the Japanese text as well. So it might just be a difference between the theatrical print and what Toho's providing uh, to people for home releases, or who knows. But um, um, I think uh, where I may on have the been... screen? What's that? Where on the screen is it located? It's kind of in. Uh, it's a little all over. It's typically in the center, but sometimes it's kind of placed in other locations depending on, um, uh, like scene composition and stuff. Okay, and... because I've seen I've seen that version. Then that's the version I saw. Oh, that's the version you saw. What about yes. you, Scott? Is that? Uh, no, I rented it from Amazon, and it was there was no okay. Japanese text on on any of it. Okay, so this is kind of maybe it's floating around in two different ways uh, uh, around. So, so, so I thought that it was actually tougher to read the English subtitles because of, uh, because of the uh, kanji. Um, yes. So I, you know, I kind of, um, yeah. So when this first came out, I, I may, I think I may have been sort of one of the early people to uh, point this out online because uh, I watched this pretty much right after I received it after. Uh, uh, pre-ordering it and stuff. And I, I tweeted like, oh, this is a different, like a difference that they made. And I, I kind of meant to uh, portray it as kind of like, isn't this interesting? Hmm. It's, it's hard. It's a hard call if this was the right decision or not. But of course it was like received with a lot of anger uh, as, as uh, the tweet kind of blew up and, and as things go online and I'm kind of uh, of two minds about it. Like as far as being pro this change, uh, as you mentioned, Alex, like, with the English text on the bottom, English text on the top, and Japanese text in between, that's a lot of text uh, all over the screen. And uh, you know, I was into I was into it. I liked the way it looked, but it was at times just a mess, you know, to kind of read everything. And considering they also switch between like uh, deputy chief of the blobbity blue and minister of the da 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 da, like every five seconds, so I barely had time to read any of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, when I did first notice this change, I Googled around a little bit and mostly saw comments from people who had seen it in the theater complaining about there being too much text on the screen. So, you know, so that that's some points for the plus uh, category for changing that. As far as, like, being kind of against it, I would say I do miss it a little bit uh, now that it's gone. It's, it's, it's... Um, it's incredibly distinct as far as like an onoism uh, and a movie that's filled with onoisms. Like it's it's kind of sad to see a little part of that sort of director's personal touch removed. Um, and besides that, though, I kind of liked that it was overwhelming. I feel like it kind of like uh, added to that uh, feeling of the bureaucracy being like a whirlwind, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's, being kind that... of. All crushed by being it? flooded with all that text as part of uh, what made it feel like that kind of like insane bureaucracy Terry Gilliam type type thing. Mm -hmm. It's just all of this stuff is being thrown at you so rapid fire. And you also mentioned I had forgotten that like uh, every location, like different offices within the the prime minister's estate get get labels. Any kind of like 
military vehicle and some some other types of vehicles all get labeled. Yeah. Which is an interesting kind of like obsessive yeah. attention to detail. It's totally obsessive. Yeah, it's totally that nerd otaku thing. And there was that joke that we had mentioned earlier where Yaguchi's gets that new title and it like covers, you said like the top third of the screen with the Japanese text. It basically covers the whole screen. Like, yeah. It's, wow. ri- it's absolutely ridiculous. And it's hilarious. Point- like that's a yeah. great joke. Like, uh, yeah. but, and it's lost a little bit. Like when you take that out, like that impact is just like slightly lost. I don't think it's like, you know, you know, when I tweeted this, I saw a lot of like anger, like you just lost a sale Funimation or like, uh, you know, you know, blah, 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 pitchforks. And I don't really think that this is like a change that is that necessary to get that worked up about. Uh, but I do I do see the argument of of, of uh, missing it a little bit because I, I, I think there's a probably bit. a good middle ground of like instead of they, they obviously in the, the English, uh, I guess, super titles for those those labels and stuff. They made them small and just the same font as mm-hmm. the as the subtitles and everything. Whereas I think if they had chosen to leave those similarly scaled to the kanji and made them a stylized font like the the I guess all the the English Evangelion titles and stuff, yeah. people would have. have I would been have loved way that. more on board. I would and, have been really like, excited yeah. by that because that I feel like that would show a really like. A whole nother like level of care and detail that would have been really cool to see, but it's not that way. Not worth like getting too worked <laughs> up over. But I thought it was worth noting and worth discussing. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. It um, is, it is. Um, but it got to the point definitely where, um, and this might have been the point where there were so many titles flashing on the screen at once, and I'm like, oh god, I clearly don't have to remember all these people. No, like, yeah, <laughs> you just let it wash over you eventually, and I yeah. feel like that's the same feeling you get when you start going through any sort of government process and you learn about like all these different offices and stuff eventually i i would uh, you just kind of go like okay well what's the first thing i have to do and then i'll figure it out from there <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah i actually wondered how you were going to do the synopsis i'm like oh my god joey's gonna have to remember all these titles and people <laughs> yeah except you don't really like because that's not what it's really all about exactly i think it's a very conscious choice that most of these characters aren't even named even ones that like factor in heavily you just know that they're the chief of whatever department. Yeah, totally. So moving on, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the title itself, Shin Godzilla. Um, it's written in katakana, which is a phonetic alphabet that carries less specific meaning than kanji and leaves a lot of room for interpretation. Uh, the Godzilla, Gojira, is obviously Godzilla, but the Shin part uh, can be read as new, as in this is the new Godzilla, which is true, uh, or God, uh, and as in kind of how uh, Gojira was referred to as meaning God incarnate. But it can also be read as true, which I find very interesting and kind of funny. Um, oh. In the 90s, uh, Toho had kind of stopped making uh, Godzilla films for a while, and it was only after the 98 American film that they produced Godzilla 2000. And uh, again, in a sort of similar move, they had stopped making Godzilla movies for a while, and it was only after the 2014 American Godzilla that <laughs> that they were like, oh, no, we're making another one and calling it true Godzilla. So I, uh, you know, that I've seen some quotes <laughs> online where they say that this is not the case. But like, I think there's a little bit of that in it for sure. 
Uh, it, it struck me less as that because I, I think the I can't can never remember what year it came out. The, the recent American Godzilla movie, Hughes pretty close to the original and kind of like tone and and the way it's laid out. So I think it was less people being salty about that American version and more like because this one goes so far back to the roots of the original Japanese one that they were trying to harken back to like mm-hmm. this is this is true Godzilla. This is like the original Godzilla. Yeah. Ah, that's interesting. interesting too. Yeah. Didn't it uh when it was released over here in theaters, wasn't it called Godzilla Resurgence? When it was first marketed it was called that, but by the time it finally came over, it was called Shin Godzilla. Okay, uh, good. Which is an interesting thing. Yeah, it has a cool like English logo and stuff, the Godzilla resurgence that somewhere yeah. along the line, kind of behind the scenes, that got scrapped and it just went to Shin Godzilla, which is something that I would like to, I'd love to know more about. Um, speaking of things that I'd love to know more about, I want to talk about uh, Goro Maki, the scientist who disappears <laughs> at the beginning. Yes, let's. Um, so upon my first viewing, uh, it this detail kind of passed over me a little bit. Like there's so much info coming at me so fast that uh, I didn't really think much of it. But in subsequent viewings, I realized that they never really resolved what happened to him. Like, is he dead? Did he commit suicide? Did he just disappear? Like, uh, and um, the fact that Godzilla appears right below his abandoned boat kind of like led me to wonder, did he turn into Godzilla? <laughs> and uh, I Googled oh. around a little bit and uh, found some interesting theories about this. Uh, did you have something to say, Scott? Oh, no, that was me going, oh, I, th- I was just very like, that's I that's not something I even considered. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's a whole like, it's, uh, the, I um, the, a whole like bunch of theories online, as you can imagine. And I found like a whole like forum post where somebody was laying out like a timeline uh, that was laid out in the whole movie and stuff. And basically the, the theory I kind of like uh, is that he one way or another ends up kind of fusing together with Godzilla. Like it, it had been said that he knew about Godzilla. So maybe possibly he created it or possibly he discovered it, that it was a creature feeding on the that radioactive, uh, you know, waste or whatever. But uh, due to this sort of like way that it rapidly evolves, he became one with it. And this is what both like helps Godzilla to eventually evolve into a slightly humanoid figure, but also um, the Maki's rage against the world for the death of his wife is what kind of fuels Godzilla's anger and pushes him to like come on land and, and cause so much destruction. And uh, it's also Maki's DNA that's being used to create these sort of humanoid baby Godzillas uh, seen at the end on its tail and stuff. Um, So, yeah, it's a super fascinating reading. It's not the one that I initially thought. I just figured that he had pinpointed to where pinpointed where this creature was going to uh, manifest and happens to, I guess, uh, decide to end his life right there and it was happenstance by like the ambiguity that it leaves room for different interpretations of. Yeah. Of that. Yeah. Speaking of like stuff that Anno brings to the table, like it's a kind of nice touch to have something that's like ambiguous and left up to interpretation, uh, like, like Evangelion or whatever. Um, 
And uh, speaking of Goromaki, the photo of him uh, in the that's shown in the film is actually a photo of the late director Kihachi Okamoto, who directed Sword of Doom and Kill. Um, so that's an interesting tribute again. Hmm. Um, I, you know, if you kind of like, like Scott had found that those like other guys were directors and I'm sure that there's like even more weird little cameos and tributes and stuff. Um, it'd be really interesting to see it all laid out, uh, somewhere, you know? Um, I'd like to note that he had a single crane laying or Guramaki had a single crane laying on his paperwork, um, in, in, in the boat. Mm-hmm. And uh, origami cranes are heavily linked to uh, the idea of nuclear attacks in Japan because of a uh, a girl named Sadako who was exposed to radiation in the bombing of Hiroshima. And there's a legend that if you f- fold a thousand origami cranes, you, uh, you get a wish. And she uh, folded a... a a thousand cranes, but uh, died, I think, around uh, age 12 from leukemia. Mm. And so now uh, people fold cranes at at Hiroshima as a kind of tribute. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that that crane both serves as a actual plot device when they figure out that they have to fold the, the chart of uh, genetic material, mm-hmm. but also it, that it's so... Uh, intertwined with uh, the idea of, of atomic attacks in Japan. Yeah, totally. That, that's that's interesting. That's that's really great. Um, yeah, there's some interesting details about uh, that very opening scene where they're kind of like looking around his um, boat and stuff. People had mentioned that it's like extremely tidy and uh, his shoes are even kind of like put in uh, it, their like perfect place and stuff and that that's a sort of classic thing that people do before they commit suicide in japan and um i don't know there's a lot of interesting little details like that um so i'm curious uh, in general what you guys thought about the film um alex this is your second godzilla film ever um, yes outside of mystery science theater right <laughs> yeah and it's been a long time since i've seen any of those so mm-hmm. the only the, and you know you don't really pay attention to those movies anyway yeah uh, generally unless you've seen them more than once and uh so the yeah, these are my two. Uh, this is the only second Godzilla movie I've seen proper. Um, I'm not counting the 2014 Godzilla, which I did see and I enjoyed. Um, but uh, the only other one that I've seen is the original, and I loved this. I thought this was a really great follow up and uh, a really great tribute to the original. It's it's sort of like what if that movie was made today? I think. Yeah, um, totally. As as you know, the original kind of touched on themes in regards to the uh the Hiroshima bombing uh this uh yeah I've and you know uh, you mentioned this earlier this tied very closely to the Fukushima disaster um and you know you could apply this to any other na- uh you know national disaster and how it could be handled nowadays it's uh less about you know, Godzilla being a giant kaiju and destroying everything or fighting another monster and more about the, the humans and how they respond to the situation. And uh, I was pulled in pretty much immediately. I didn't expect to um, to be so invested in in the going-ons of this movie, or goings-on of this movie, rather. Uh, 
from the get-go, but I was. I was like, I was glued. And um, I can't, I, I will watch this again. Like cool. that's, yeah, I'm, I'm very, I'm very enthusiastic about this movie. Uh, I enjoyed it a whole lot. Uh, I found it very interesting. A lot of the themes that it dealt with, both the kind of bureaucracy and reflecting on the, the, the earthquake tsunami and, and uh, reactor disaster, but also the way it handled themes of uh, use of force in the Japanese military, the the, it, the way it treats their authorization of the self-defense force to actually use weapons and things, and then the uh, the outrage and, uh, that everybody has over the idea of, of the U.S. using another nuclear weapon to defeat Godzilla. Yeah. Actually, can we can we talk about that for a little bit? Sure. Because because I feel like we sort of glossed over that a little bit in the synopsis. How that was like a that was a big that was a huge deal in the movie for everybody involved. Uh, Kyoko especially. She even says, you know, I'm not going back to the US. I'd rather die here um, than you know have uh, th- this happen to my you know the country of my mother again. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that was a really powerful powerful thing for her to say considering her character up until that point was a little bit goofy and kind of uh you know uh i'm not gonna say stereotypical because i'm not sure what stereotype that is referring to (laughs) she's kind of cold and methodical and and you get the feeling that she's just acting on the u.s's in like behalf and it, it doesn't really care too much about japan I think up until that. Yeah, point. the first impression with she runs in with like a cocktail dress on and slipping between Japanese and English, and seems like she is just too cosmopolitan and cool to actually care about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And this is the first like that, that's the first real kind of splash of humanity her character seems to have. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry, Scott. I didn't mean to hijack your. No, it's fine. Um, but yeah, I, was, I so I, I really enjoyed the the number of different themes that the movie went through, and I will say that I am not the biggest fan of this Godzilla design, but I under I appreciate its thematic relevance. Yeah, that's kind of but, where I fall too. Like it doesn't yep. look aesthetically like what I like about Godzilla, like personally, but for the purposes of this movie, it's perfect. Yeah. This but, is a uh, very good Pokemon movie. <laughs> but as far as the actual like scenes of action and destruction, they were incredibly effective. Like Godzilla, where normally you're just like almost kind of rooting for Godzilla to just tear up more stuff in a lot of the like older and cheesier ones. In this, like he is actually scary in the way like a horror movie is scary. Yeah. And that the kind of like dead eyed look that we talked about earlier and the amount of destruction once he starts shooting lasers everywhere is is very effective in making it seem like, oh, God, what can they actually do to stop this thing? And so I I, I like. Uh, I can't really say there there is a bit of a disconnect, which I think there that might have to do with the fact that. Uh, I guess the uh, Higuchi was kind of a second unit doing the Godzilla action scenes, mm-hmm. but uh, but both both sides of the movie were were 
shockingly good. My only real complaint is some of the dodgy CG, but there's not much to be done about that short of just giving them more budget and more time. Yeah, so, overall it looks pretty good. And I think it's worth noting that this is the first Japanese Godzilla movie to not feature a guy in a suit. It's like motion capture. Yeah. Yeah. Which overall it looks really good. I think the part where he evolves kind of before our eyes looks pretty wonk. But. Yeah, that effect was was not great. But the actual like the the motion performance, the way Godzilla moves and everything, that all looks great. It's just some of the like when things interact with each other, they they look a little weird. The thing I liked about how Godzilla moved in this movie is that uh, normally when you see uh, a giant creature that is done by you know by mocap or CG or something like that, um, it's usually based off of, like an animal, how an animal moves, like. Oh yeah, well this is a dragon. So we kind of studied how cats move or how like lizards move and stuff like that. But this was like Godzilla was its own thing. Mm. Like this thing that nobody's ever seen before and kind of moved in a way that like no creature on earth moves. And I really bought that. Uh yeah. in addition to that, um I mentioned earlier how it kind of looked like a rubber creature. Uh when it like evolved and that effect did look weird, but it also kind of reminded me of the way, uh, you know, stop motion stuff was done back in the day. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like really cheesy looking, but also still kind of effective for, for back then. I don't know. Uh, in a way, I thought that was, it, it felt like more of an homage than, than anything else. But, but I don't know, that's just, that's just my interpretation of that particular aspect. Um, another thing that that struck me that I just kind of put two and two together is the weird way it holds its arms, which it, it does have kind of tiny arms for how big the monster is, but they're held in this kind of like open-handed, stiff rictus in front of it, which I think is another thing supposed to be evocative of uh, uh, victims of the atomic uh, bombs. Yeah, perhaps so. Huh. Wow. But yeah, it's it's a. As I said, why it's not aesthetically pleasing as Godzilla design, it is an incredibly effective one. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I love this film for its originality. Like, it's both unlike any Godzilla film, but in many ways still, like, reverential to the original, especially. Um, in fact, I'd say that because of its originality, um, I think Alex may have said this, basically, that it's... It's kind of, even though Alex hasn't seen the the ones in between, I, I think it is uh, the most similar to the original of all, whatever, 30 or so Godzilla films, because it comments so strongly on real world disasters and politics. Um, even yeah. there was a reboot uh, in 1984 uh, the of uh, uh, Godzilla uh, that was is a sort of somewhat similar like Godzilla by himself, not fighting any other monsters, just the Japanese government trying to deal with him. Uh, there's some comments there on the Cold War at the time because the Soviets and the U.S. are kind of involved with the nukes and stuff um, in that film as well. But it still kind of like it has they have this kind of goofy spaceship thing that the government has to like fight Godzilla with and stuff. And so it's a little more like kind of silly sci fi unlike this and the Godzilla film and the original Godzilla film, I should say is all pretty much rooted in reality. Like the most kind of like sci-fi device they have is like a coolant that they develop, uh, you know? (laughs) So, um, 
so yeah, so it's really cool. And and yeah, Godzilla's truly horrifying. He he we've said this over and over again. He's just kind of like kind of a Godzilla body horror movie in some ways. And um I like that uh the stuff with Goromaki is is a mystery at the end. It's a kind of classic Ano move. Um speaking of it being kind of reverential, let's let's talk about the music. Um Yeah. You want to start us off, Alex? I do, yeah. So I, um, I've i actually been listening to the soundtrack for the last like two days because I found out that it's on um, streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music. So if you, have, uh, if you have a subscription to either of those services, it might also be on Google Play, I'm not sure. Um, but you can listen to it for, uh, for not for free, but for your, your monthly subscription, and it's great. Uh, so I've been listening to it while I work, and... Um, it's it's so interesting because it's it's like a blend of like new stuff, but also like best of uh, Akira Ikifube or I- Ifukube stuff. Um, mm-hmm. for, forgive the pronunciation. Uh, you said that uh, Shiro Sa- uh, Sagisu was the uh, primary composer, and he did the music for um, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Um, I I rather liked uh, his stuff, um, especially some of the more jazzy bits, um, and I thought there were. Uh, very interesting for a Godzilla movie, but uh, it's kind of interesting uh, when you look at the soundtrack for all the other tracks that are not him, uh, the uh, Ifukube tracks. Obviously, the um, the classic uh, theme from the original Godzilla is there, uh, but then you have themes from, um, and I, I wrote them all down, Terror of Mechagodzilla, King Kong vs. Godzilla, Battle in Outer Space, Invasion of Astro Monster, and uh, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. So those are all uh, the um, like sort of best of yeah. uh, tracks that are featured in the movie, and uh, you can definitely tell them apart uh, from uh, Saigisu's tracks. I think. Yeah, they stand out, but they stand out in a way that like gives them great impact. Like it, they don't stand out in a way that doesn't seem to fit. It's like. Because it's at, at moments where like Godzilla first appears uh, as his full form, or um, I think they're playing one of the themes uh, during the sort of like Yaguchi plan being put into action and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So uh, very both triumphant and uh, kind of menacing parts uh, is where the Ifukube stuff comes in. Yeah, just very, the integration very of that stuff is is was really fascinating when I first caught because I, I wasn't entirely sure until after I had, uh, went and, and looked afterwards whether it actually was uh, Ifugabe's original music or if they were just kind of uh, trying to compose similar stuff mm-hmm. but to go back and see that it was actually transitioning into Ifugabe's original tracks for various Godzilla things was incredibly neat yeah I thought that they were all part of the same composition honestly and i'm like ah oh, this is a great godzilla movie because it sounds so <laughs> it sounds so much like the first one but uh and that as makes, for sakisu's music like i mentioned this earlier but it there's parts of it that sound like ripped right out of evangelion like um the, the one that kind of stands out to me as a little weird are, is where it starts out sounding like ava with the sort of timpani uh drums and then there's this like kind of like riffy guitar uh, like rock guitar that gets played over it, um, <laughs> and that 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 mix didn't quite uh, sa- feel as um, 
like seamless to me. Scott, what was your favorite part of the film? Uh, I, I I talked about it earlier, but I honestly think my favorite part is when he gets the atomic breath, turns into a laser. Not just because I I really like when Godzilla does that, but the way that scene is shot is just incredible uh, and gives a really, really cool sense of scale for both how big Godzilla is and the a sense of the scale of destruction he is causing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of really zoomed out shots where, uh, especially when he just initially starts billowing the fire out and it's just flooding throughout the entire city. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is the, it, in terms of uh, relative scale, this is the tallest Godzilla has ever been in a movie, I think. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, uh, Alex, was it you or somebody else that was like, well, skyscrapers are getting bigger. Godzilla has to get bigger or he won't or he'll just look tiny. Oh, I yeah. didn't say that, but that's that is a that's a good point. Um, but yeah, so and there are still buildings that are taller than he is in the film. But just just that whole scene of the flame breath, uh, watching it go from this billowing cloud out of his mouth to tighten up into the laser and then just whipping it around, destroying stuff and then transitioning into, as you called it, party mode <laughs> was just so cool. And the, the use of color in those scenes and the destruction was just really, really awesome. Yeah. How about you, Alex? Yeah. Uh, Scott basically took mine. I, I had, I mean like that's, I'm sorry. No, I think that's, no, I mean, be obviously that, that sort of night rampage is the standout scene, right? I mean, it, it really is. No, I had other favorite scenes, of course. Uh, but, <laughs> but, um, uh, just to add to that, like what you said about color. Yes. Uh, like the black and purple, uh, that, that's just what I, 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 I remember about that just black and black and purple. And, uh, it's, it's very jarring when, uh, when he does let loose that breath because it happens just lickety split which is uh, which is completely opposite of what we've seen Godzilla do up to that point in the movie. He's just kind of shambling, even when he's you know, yeah, he just shambles like the entire time, and then he unleashes this atomic breath, and he's suddenly quick, like and destroying everything, and it just like yeah, the 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 scope of it is kind of amazing. Um, I did like the scene uh, where uh, where uh, Hiromi gets immediately proved right. Um, by uh, by her hypothesis that uh, that uh, Godzilla is um, feeding off of uh, fission, uh, I I thought that was super funny and um, it, it's just another example of, of a part in the movie where somebody uh, somebody offers the suggestion of something that is probable in this case and everyone shoots it down immediately. Yeah. Only, only to then uh, find out that oh no, that thing is actually true, which happens so many times in this movie. It does. When you think about it, like, mm-hmm. uh, it w- I feel like that's one of the sort of uh, 
big flags for like the idea that it's satirical is the idea of just like how almost comical it is that like people keep shooting them down when they're just saying the correct stuff, you know? Yeah. But I also love watching this kind of thing happen where, uh, here is a, here's a situation that is pretty much, Oh yeah, we've seen this before and we have uh, certain protocols in order to take care of this particular problem. Oh, but what if you have, you know, what if, what if it's this? Oh no, it's not that. That's ridiculous. That's, that's a fairy tale. Oh, guess what? It, it's not a fairy tale. It's real. Uh, and you're an yeah. idiot. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just, uh, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's sort of like how it's why you go see a movie, you know, yeah. you, you, uh, you kind of want an escape from reality and that's what that sort of is. But I also love that hypothetical. Like, what if this was real? I don't know. That was a little rambly and <laughs> and sort of free flowing, but uh, I like. But yeah, it. I yeah. <laughs> How about you, um, Joey? My, you know, I mean, I just really love Godzilla. Uh, I specifically, <laughs> I think my big kind of takeaway from this is I love how gross he is. You know, like he's terrifying in a completely new way that I really respect. And and as we keep saying, he's not my favorite Godzilla design. This isn't one of my favorite. Godzilla movies, uh, you know, I, it, I'm a goofy Showa guy, you know, I love Godzilla being a cartoony hero and stuff, uh, that that's what kind of reaches down in my heart. Uh, but like for the purpose of this movie, like I said, he's like totally perfect and, um, and very inventive, uh, and interesting. Uh, I love, as Scott was describing the atomic breath and, and party mode, of course, uh, is, very shocking and terrifying uh, and also like exhilarating too when you're kind of that sort of way that you can be excited in a movie when stuff's blowing up, you know, <laughs> is, yeah. is it's just really, it's really fun to watch as well as like communicating that it's very terrifying, you know? Yeah. It, it does skirt that line. Um, and it also gives you that feeling of hopelessness, which is weird, mm. especially halfway through the movie where, where you're like, Oh my God, uh, they just dropped a whole bunch of like they they've exhausted basically their entire military force on 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 this thing and now it's it's destroyed so much more of the city in a manner of seconds than it did in the span of the last two days yeah. like yeah. what are the how are they gonna how are they gonna solve this like issue and it, it's so weird that it, it actually fills you with this emotion of just like oh my god what if this <laughs> It, it gives you that relief at the end where, as we've mentioned, it's like not fully solved. Godzilla's still there, but you're just like, ooh, at least they stopped it, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Which it's interesting because like the in almost all other Godzilla movies, you still have like Hank showing up to shoot Godzilla and it doesn't do anything. But the it feels like the stakes in this movie and the, the tension that it ratchets up through that scene and this is so much higher and so much more real than it is in those other ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A lot of got a lot of the human element of Godzilla are, if there's characters that you care about, they're like a small group of people, maybe like a reporter and maybe someone in the military or something. But then there's also these sort of obligatory scenes of all the council meetings and government stuff that is honestly kind of boring. Uh, but Ano kind of took it upon himself to like make that that part compelling and it works it like moves along in a good clip and it it uh 
and it's shot in interesting ways. Like there's a lot of interesting camera work uh, that we haven't even really touched on. Like there's that part where they're talking about uh, the mandate, I think maybe not to use the self-defense force or something where there's like the text is again, text is all over the screen, but it's kind of like you're on the other side of a computer looking through it or something. Yes. Put the entire like (laughs) subsection of the law over authorized use of, of weapons for the self-defense force on overlaid on screen. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, uh, there were a that, lot of... that text is on on screen in the uh, yeah that full thing is on there in the U.S. version. Yeah, which makes it kind of stand out, and I feel like it it works a little bit better when the Japanese text is on there. Not to keep like whining about that, but <laughs> <laughs> it's actually funny you mention all the all the weird uh, shots. Um, I noted that as soon as the movie started, like where uh, he hangs up the phone or he picks up the phone, something like that. But uh, the camera is like on the hook. Yeah, uh, and. That's such a. I mean, I guess that's that's typical of Anna. Like it's, it felt like watching an anime, but in, in real life, <laughs> so, finally a real life sure. anime. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I keep saying that the those bureaucracy scenes are kind of like uh, Terry Gilliam because they're paced really fast and there's lots of stuff going on. But to be honest, those scenes are are shot like an action scene. Yeah. There's so during the scene where it's basically the. I guess the defense minister lady and the prime minister going back and forth over what to do. And she's constantly like, should we authorize back and forth like that? That scene is just this like super boring bureaucracy thing, but the back and forth of it and the frenetic cuts make it, yeah, seem like an action scene Mm -hmm. keep you engaged. Yeah. I really want to give credit also. I mean, we've run through the actors, but Rena Sugi as the prime minister, like is really excellent. Like he gives some very good, both dumbfounded faces and uh, genuine concerned like looks and stuff like that. Like there's some parts where he's almost kind of mugging to the camera uh, in ways that make it again, really entertaining to watch. Yeah, he was great. I, I felt really bad when his character died mm-hmm. and, and he, and his character died without like any pomp or circumstance, but I'm like, yeah, well that that's true. That would happen. And then they have to get this schlub uh, to replace him. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, I thought he was very effective. Um, it was, it, yeah, it, I, I loved, I actually really loved him as a character because he, like, you saw the weight that was on his shoulders and you see him through all these meetings. Yeah. And sometimes these meetings are boring. Sometimes he has to wear a special uniform. Sometimes, you know, he's proven a liar in front of, you know, his entire country. But uh, he still has to do his job. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah, he seems very hapless and out of his depth. And but I mean, to be but this is a completely unprecedented situation and something that he would have no way to know to be prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to tell how much. Once again, it's not a kind of scathing indictment of of Japanese bureaucracy, but um, whereas. There to contrast that with the uh, the manager of their emergency relief in the actual uh, Fukushima uh, nuclear disaster. There is there's a an emergency manager that was uh, I guess very proactive, where the the government at the higher levels seemed to be kind of hapless and mm. uh, unable to act fast enough. I'm sure even in disasters like that that aren't uh, a lizard you know, that people have never seen before, the higher ups are probably also getting contradictory information and people 
telling them to do one thing and another person telling them to do the opposite and stuff. So I, I do find that very kind of like sympathetic and, and realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have any anything else that you wanted to touch on before we close up? Hmm. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. We, yeah, we got thoroughly, up. <laughs> thoroughly and systematically covered this movie. Um, so that is November. What are we covering in December, Alex? Well, we're going to move from present day Tokyo to a galaxy far, far away, Joey, because we're covering Star Wars. That's right. The original Star Wars. <laughs> so excited. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. the, that new movie, Luke's, Luke's the guy is coming out. So we're going to talk That's about right. it. That's right, Luke's the guy. No, we're covering the the movie that inspired Star Wars, uh, aka the movie that George Lucas, uh, you could say he might have ripped off of it, uh, <laughs> The Hidden Fortress by Akira Kurosawa. Um, and because it's Star Wars month uh, in my house, uh, <laughs> aka whichever house I happen to be in at the time, um, I'm going to be uh, watching Star Wars uh, as soon as I watch this movie. I mean, I've seen Star Wars a gajillion times, but um going to do a fun deep dive into the similarities and um and stuff as well. It'll be awesome. a good episode. I'm looking forward to it for sure. Me too. Um as far as plugs, uh why why don't you start us off, Alex? Sure. Why you can follow me at dude exclamation on Twitter and uh Tumblr or Instagram and uh and any of any social media really. Um you can sometimes hear me on the One Piece podcast. Uh while this episode drops, I believe me and Steve Yurko are hosting an episode uh, due oh, cool. to uh, uh, Zach's absence for a week. So uh, look forward to that if you haven't already listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I believe that's it for me. How about you, Scott? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at VriskaChat, V-R-I-S-K-A-C-H-A-T. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, it will not be October anymore but I had no time in October to watch horror movies. So maybe uh, tweet me some good schlock horror stuff to watch in November. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so I can maybe catch up on the spooky times. Sounds good. Uh, you know, November is pretty spooky too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as for me, I'm uh, at Joey Weiser on Twitter and joeyweiser.tumblr.com. Um, please uh, check out my graphic novel series, Merman. Uh, volumes one through five are out now and that's the entire series uh they're available in digital and print um and as for comic events i'm basically done for the year so look for me in uh 2018 somewhere some someday but um please also follow our podcast on twitter at toho yaro where we tweet out uh news about movies and cool uh japanese movie stuff that we come across uh, for instance, I'm going to retweet that thread about uh, Anno's uh, possible intentions uh, that I had mentioned earlier in making this movie. And um, also uh, f- like us on Facebook where we announce upcoming movies and uh, leave room for discussion and stuff like that. Um, and uh, oh, and please uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find a spot to rate and review us because uh, we... Appreciate the word of mouth uh, for sure, and uh, those like stars and reviews and stuff on uh, iTunes or whatever uh, really help uh, 
make the show better, both by getting people's attention to it and letting us know what you think about it. Um, and so that has been Shin Godzilla. Uh, look out next month for The Hidden Fortress. Until next time, we are Toho Yaro. We sure are. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.